to Juve Rum or not to Juve Rum? Welcome to the Style and Vibes podcast with me, Michaela. I'll be giving you the inside scoop on music, fashion, culture, and more from Caribbean celebrities and tastemakers across the globe, pushing our culture with authenticity and, of course, style and vibes. Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Style and Vibes podcast with yours truly. If you are new, I like to say welcome to the family. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, today, as you can tell by the topic, we are talking about Michael B. Jordan and the Juve Rome fiasco. Of course, by the time you guys hear this, it has already passed, but I think it's important to revisit just because you know how big I am on cultural currency and I have a lot of thoughts. If you're following me on Twitter, at Style and Vibes, I've already done a thread, but this is going to be a bit of an extended explanation and kind of digging into the details a bit. But before we get into that, gotta share what's new in Style and Vibes. Hitting heavy on the news front is the assassination of Haiti's president, Jovenel Moise and the attempted assassination of his wife. His wife is in critical condition in South Florida. She's being treated there. Um, But the turmoil, you know, and everything that has happened in Haiti in the last few days, and the story continues to unfold. There are still details at this time that I'm not aware of, but I'm really just watching the news to kind of see what is happening. What I do know is my thoughts and prayers are with the people of Haiti in the region and of the diaspora. Regardless of the political position you play, this is still a huge impact on the people. They have had numerous amounts of issues over, you know, what seems like since their independence. Um, And they're such a resilient people, you know, one Caribbean people have to stand together. So what I really want to encourage you guys to do is while the American news and international news is really covering a lot of um, what is happening and unfolding. There are definitely some media outlets that you guys can support that are closer to the voice of the people. Some of my favorites are Leunion Sweet. Wanda is a huge friend of the podcast. Um, She does a really great job of covering and fact-checking a lot of the things that she posts. Um, Haitian Times, Way Magazine, um, and those are just a few. So really seek out the information Um, and make sure you get a better understanding on both sides of what is happening. A lot of those um, sites also do uh, English and Creole. So, and then there are some that are Creole only. Um, But I definitely encourage you to stay connected to the story, stay connected to the voices. And it's really a time to let the voices of people from Haiti really do their work and really serve out justice in this particular situation because it's layered in so many others as well. In other news, Shakari Richardson will not be running in the Olympics this year due to failing her drug test for smoking marijuana. She has come out and admitted that she did so, um, going through some personal issues of losing her birth mother and right before she ran her, her meet. She was slated to participate in the 100 meter event which, you know, we're excited about because we want to see Shelly and Frasier Price um, run. So it was going to be definitely, and it probably still is, it should be, um, still the highlight for me, at least, of the Olympics is always track and field. Um, so she was able to take a 30-day suspension and it made her eligible to compete 
in the 4x100 relay, but she wasn't selected. So we won't see her this time around in the Olympics, but she, you know, she's still young. She still has time. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing her in a future race. And she's garnered a lot of buzz already and a lot of support online. So, you know, maybe she can use that as, you know, part of her mission to kind of spread her message of whatever it is that may be. Nike has also kept her as an ambassador. So, you know, it's not all gloom and doom for Shakiri. She still, you know, has a lot uh, ahead of her. And I think we'll see her on the Olympian stage in the near future. Well, in the future of when it, the next one is. Um, but I'm sure this isn't the last we'll hear from her. If you want more news in your inbox, become a Style & Vibes Insider by signing up to our newsletter. I share new music, um, things that I think you would enjoy, as well as more news with information and links to the actual articles themselves. I share some Caribbean brands that you might want to support. So make sure you sign up for the newsletter. It's definitely worth it. I send out an email every week. Um, so it's definitely worth getting in your inbox and you know you can read your little news in I'm in with your coffee or your tea in I'm in. I think you would like that. So make sure you guys sign up. So on Juneteenth, Lori Harvey decided to share an endearing post congratulating her boyfriend, Michael B. Jordan, on the launch of his new rum. What was supposed to be a sweet, supportive post went viral for all the wrong reasons. Lori wasn't the only one to share congratulatory messages on social. A few others um, who got this mini press box, it looked like, also tagged Michael B. Jordan using the hashtag Juve. Um, so, of course, with the name associated to Michael B. Jordan, you know, everyone's bells went off and antennas went up. The Trini Massive and the wider Caribbean really went in on the stars, citing cultural appropriation of the beloved cultural celebration of Juve um, because it is a celebration and he is taking it and using it in the um, rum category. So not only is he using the name, but there was also a trademark filing for rights to use Juve in the rum and spirits category with the U.S. Trademark Office. So as you can imagine, all the debates on social media ensued. Diaspora wars were reignited. Petitions to block the trademark. And everything ended with Michael B. Jordan making a statement apologizing to the masses um, and taking the position to change the name and he's in process of doing a relaunch. So all of this has already happened, but definitely is worth dissecting a bit. Um, so the media circus has died down, but I still thought it was important to dissect all the aspects of this particular issue that's happening when it comes to cultural appropriation. It is very clear that you know cultural preservation is important as a collective but we're definitely vulnerable to appropriation when there's a lack of legal protection especially in this global commerce space who has the rights to use who's trademarking who's profiting and is it the right thing to do and these are all questions that people were kind of debating especially really and truly is is this truly cultural appreciation or appropriation and from, I think that it's still pretty split in terms of some people from the region, from Trinidad and Tobago, really saying it is or it isn't. 
So I wanted to kind of backtrack. I did a whole lot of research, you know, um, just looking at the whole entire picture. And the first thing I thought is, well, what is Michael B's connection to the Caribbean or Caribbean people as a whole? And it turns out he is the owner and part investor of a restaurant in New York City called Last Lap. Last Lap is, he's not the only partner. He has several partners. He's one of seven, including um, Scott Williams. Scott Williams is of Caribbean descent. I found an article on Covertour dated to last year talking about Last Lap and really featuring Scott Williams and how he transitioned in the pandemic. And it really just talked about the restaurant itself. So Last Lap is essentially a rum bar. Um, It's a upscale rum bar in Manhattan and it's named after, inspired by Trinidad and Tobago's annual carnival celebration. Last Lap kind of really means almost like the last round. We've seen restaurants and products named after Caribbean landmarks, I've seen, you know, Dundrava Restaurant, Spur Tree, you know, all of these significant places and cultural associations um, when it comes to products and, and restaurants in particular and places and parties, of course. Um, so, you know, there's nothing new there in terms of borrowing from the culture. The restaurant itself has seven different partners and Michael B. Jordan is one of them, along with Scott Williams. So here we have this restaurant that they have, and it really pays homage to rum. Most of the drinks on the menu are centered around rum, so much that they've partnered with Bacardi in the past. So, you know, the idea probably here is, well, if we have this rum bar, this restaurant, we really love rum, maybe we should start a rum line very similar to like how you see Diddy and Ciroc, similar to like Rick Ross and Bel Air. I, I don't know the details of all of these partnerships, but you get where I'm going with this. The idea here, you know, celebrities attach to themselves to products and brands all the time, whether they are investing in it or maybe they're just being the face and brand ambassador of, of the work. We're not really sure on all of the details of the partnership itself, but just stating that this is the fact. So as they have partnered and are continuing to do this work, of course, the name comes up, I'm sure. And Juve, to me, strategically sounds like a good idea. It's heavily associated with carnival culturally. However, the term Juve is also the description associated with a cultural experience unique to Trinidad and Tobago. The usage of the name should be questioned. Um, But as many are kind of coming to the assumption, if his partner is of Trinidadian descent, um, and the Covertor article states that he was born in Trinidad and Tobago, does that give him enough stake in the ground to partner with a celebrity who's not really associated with the culture to use the name in this particular manner? That's the question at hand. So getting to the social media post, The actual unboxing experience is what was also shared. Um, So it was a box that had the alcohol. It had some other items in it. And it doesn't mean that the items in the box are all collectively together. I work in influencer marketing. So sometimes what happens is PR teams will put together a box centered around a particular idea and one particular product. So they might purchase the other products in the box to go along with the experience of the unboxing experience. 
So what I did notice is they did pay homage to Trinidad and Tobago. The box had the artwork with the islands and it included the following copy. Derived from the Antillean Creole, French term meaning daybreak, Juve originated in the pre-dawn streets of Trinidad as celebrations of emancipation combined with carnival season to serve as the festival's informal commencement. So that's kind of the homage that they are paying in this particular box. I think where it gets sticky is the trademark application. The trademark application indicated that Juve had no literal meaning, which deepened the implication because what appears to be a lack of an understanding and or respect for the culture of Juve written in a documentation format. So this is where the debate really started. Legal technicalities and loopholes are things that only people in the legal industry truly understand. While I'm not an attorney, I do have some understanding of how some of this works. In order to apply for the trademark application, they did so by an attorney. So it's not like Michael B. Jordan or his partner filed it themselves. They filed it through um, a legal team. So my assumption as the legal team is the legal team is advising them on how to process this application to make sure that it actually does go through. Since this wasn't the first time that someone had applied for the trademark application in the beverage space, it had been filed three times previously for rum and spirits and was denied and one other time for a carnival ban based in the US here. And all of those have been either denied or it kind of passed the limitation of the, the process. So it is my speculation that maybe this was the understanding that this would get passed if they made it so that this was the particular language that they used. Um, so additionally, with a pending trademark application, you need to also be using the name in some form or fashion. The papers themselves were filed in September of 2020, and the launch that we saw was in June of 2021. There's no official press release, major marketing. It's really just this press box. They also had a website as well as some social media presence and activity. This kind of would help move along the application process if at least they're teasing. Additionally, the tease would allow for others to experience the product before it hits the shelves or gets distributed. Um, so a lot of work I'm sure went into all of this and they were probably meticulously trying to launch and then they got hit with all of this backlash. And rightfully so, right? While not all cultural traditions are meant to be commoditized, the other alternative is someone else coming in and profiting off the culture. Technically, legally speaking, someone else could come and apply for the same trademark and because there is no one that owns it, they might be able to get it. We've seen, you know, cultural appropriation conversations happen with Fortnite dances, TikTok dances. As we speak, Black TikTok creators are on strike. Boxer braids, Tropical House, the list goes on and on. Michael B. Jordan is getting a lot of the heat because essentially he was the face of the launch and he is, you know, one of the partners of the launch. Michael B. Jordan aside, definitely the culture really had, and the people really in the community really have the right to be upset. But truth be told, there were no gatekeepers. Legally, the team did nothing wrong, but culturally, it wasn't well-received. The other question I have is, does Scott have a birthright to protect a piece of his heritage? As one of the partners, you know, 
does he have some stake in the ground in saying, you know, I've studied this industry, I've studied our culture, and this is a great move that I wanted to make for the entire movement. But again, there was no connection and people were blindsided by the launch because there was no visible connection between Michael B. Jordan and Carnival. You you haven't seen pictures of him at Carnival, enjoying soca music, enjoying the culture as a whole. I think that that might have been received a little bit differently. But Carnival, Juve, all of those cultural events are commoditized through paid activities, tourism, and the massive explosion over the years that we've seen has been intense. I mean, you see carnivals popping up everywhere. You see dance classes with soca, you know, fitness classes using soca music and really replicating that experience around not just Juve, but around carnival. I've previously talked about topics around cultural currency. Even if it's not meant to be commoditized, it still needs to be protected. Cultural appropriation happens and there's a breakdown in terms of a code of ethics and the court of public opinion. So while this is a great debate, there is some validity here in, you know, protecting versus commoditizing. We also can't ignore, you know, that the Pan-African Black diaspora, you know, is having a field day with the divisiveness of all of this conversation. You have the Eidos folks, which if you're not familiar, African descendants of slaves. It's a U.S. ethnic group that many Caribbean Americans colloquially refer to as Black Americans. Um, you have Caribbeans based in the region versus Caribbeans based in the diaspora. There's messy history lessons, some are fact, some are opinion, and it makes, you know, the conversation so vile, especially online. Um, So anytime this really happens, especially with Black people, you know, sharing and quote unquote appropriating each other's cultures, there's always this fine line and it almost just feels like we're always kind of fighting for cultural protection. But, you know, in this particular case, This is a a true reality that governments need to support in protecting the cultural traditions native to the countries, nationalities, and ethnicities of which they originate from. There are some clear examples of how countries and governments have tried to protect. The Maasai tribe of Tanzania hired a legal team because they saw their patterns being used by luxury fashion houses, Ethiopian coffee, Jamaican jerk, champagne from France, like those are things that government have protected. Even the city of Berlin has organized and recognized clubs as a cultural constitution, and that's recent. Um, They were campaigning, the night scene associations of Berlin were campaigning uh, for parliament to recognize them as a cultural institution. That's big. I was also watching a documentary called Explained by Vox Media. And in the episode, they were talking about K-pop and it cited how the government's influence in identifying K-pop as a cultural export and investing in the sector helped it to the boom that it is here today. So we have some clear examples of how we can do it or what has been done. New rights and new laws are discussed all the time just because it doesn't necessarily exist now doesn't mean that it can't later. So rules 
and laws can only be changed once they are challenged. So we're really at a place of opportunity to kind of move on some of these types of actions for the culture. Additionally, we have to talk about allyship, you know, strategically getting cultural buy-in from a culture that you enjoy but don't necessarily come from is a thing. You know, we've seen it in examples with DJ Khaled and his affinity and love for dancehall or Drake and his affiliations and, and love of dancehall. You see him partner with Popcon, Rihanna, even WizKid. And we've also seen it go left in situations like White Chocolate. You know, I did talk about that in my episode, Don't Columbus Our Culture. So there are some examples of allyship you know, and I, I kind of want to double down on the Khaled and Drake affiliations. While they are not in the culture or of the culture, they have a personal close proximity to the cultural's influence just because of their journeys. Drake is from Toronto, which is a highly Caribbean culture influenced area. Um, DJ Khaled is from Miami and he is very familiar with Sound Clash culture. He's taken part in going to clashes in Jamaica, and not to mention he has a mean duplet collection. Khaled and Drake are clear examples of what could be deemed as great areas of affiliation, but supporters from within the culture also vouch for their clout and intentions of being inspired by the culture. Not to mention both of them, beyond the social currency that they've gained, also pay their collaborators. They are able to contribute to the economy of some sort by paying the people that they collaborate with. While the numbers are not disclosed to the public, you know, I think that that is an important case for allyship as well. In the case of Michael B. Jordan's rum, you know, his business partner wasn't enough in the eyes of the people to stand behind naming his rum Juve because there wasn't a clear connection for people. And the trademark filing upset so many because of the definition that you really needed that allyship to be public and to be seen if this was the route he wanted to go. So I, I think I've talked enough about all the different details and how you can grant your own perspective. There's definitely a number of other Caribbean-owned rum brands that you can definitely support. Know Your Caribbean did an amazing amazing list of different rums that you can support. I'll share the link in the bio and you can kind of check out some of those rums for yourself. But additionally, it's definitely time for us to kind of really think about protection. Um, this was a great example and a firsthand look at how um, lack of protection leads to appropriation. And while we might not want to commoditize the cultural practices, legal action might be the only way to protect it. I think this isn't the first time that we've seen this. It's definitely not going to be the last. And every situation deserves its own evaluation because there's nuances to every situation. Um, but the public and the community should always be consulted when making these big decisions, um, especially when you're going into business. Well, that's it for this episode. It's short, but I think it's so much in there to really dissect. I would love to hear from you guys and let me know your thoughts. You can share your thoughts with me on Instagram or on Twitter at Style and Vibes. I definitely want to hear what you think because this is definitely something we're always talking about from a, a cultural perspective. And how do we proceed? How do we do more? 
Um, and hopefully this was an opening, an eye-opening experience to not just the community and the people, but also the governments and the tourist, the tourist ministry sectors to identify ways to protect these cultural institutions within the region. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Style and Vibes podcast. If you like what you hear, and I know you do, share it with your friends and family. If you want more, make sure you visit styleandvibes.com and follow us on our social channels, Twitter and Instagram at Style and Vibes. Until next time, Leah Tommy peeps.